Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wendy's is giving you a chance to win cash. Head to a participating Wendy's, snap a pic when you try the new homestyle French toast sticks, and post it on social using the hashtag Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps or log on to wendysfrenchtoaststicksweeps.com. Wendy's new homestyle French toast sticks are crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. They're so good, they're the best thing to ever happen to breakfast. No purchase necessary. See rules at Wendy's French toast stick sweeps.com. Sweepstakes end September 11th, 2022. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, back from Oxford, he survived driving through eight hours of torrential downpour is Gamecock Central's Colin Taylor. Colin, was the ride as unpleasant as watching that basketball game Wednesday night? The ride was worse. Really? Yeah, the ride was exponential. Well, it was weird because I rented a car, and so when I get to lovely Columbia Metropolitan Airport to go pick up said rental Mm -hmm. on Wednesday morning, they ran out of mid-sized cars. Wow. And so... They run out of mid-sized cars. Exactly, right? That's a wide range. So I had to drive a... Bright red Chevy, Chevy Silverado, uh, there and back. Oh my gosh! So driving that through the rain, through Atlanta, through Birmingham, uh, less than ideal. And I got to see Morgan Freeman at the game. That's so, true. That's so true. there's it would Lane Kiffin and Morgan Freeman were sitting next to each other at an Ole Miss basketball game. So was red Silverado the only color they had left, or did you choose red? Of they, the no, they Silverados? told me they were like you're in this specific parking spot, and I turned the corner, and there's this the only car in the lot at like 7 a.m. when I picked up the car was this bright red. And like I didn't want to believe it at first. And so like I hit the lock button to like have the horn beep. Mm-hmm. And it went, and I'm like, are you kidding oh, me? No. So I had to drive this like, I don't drive a truck. I've never really driven a truck. The most I've ever done is like driven a U-Haul through Columbia. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, that was a an incredibly unique experience. Yeah, I've never driven a truck. I used to drive like a midsize SUV. It was an Isuzu Axiom. And then I recently downgraded to like a, I mean, not a lot smaller, like a reasonably good sized sedan, but I, I couldn't imagine. I like being lowish to the ground. And, yeah. Well, I, mean, I drive like a like I, I drive a Chevy Malibu, mm-hmm. so that's a nice little mid sized sedan. Mm-hmm. And I would, and if I had got something similar to that, I would have been great. Good gas mileage, aerodynamic. Get Who through is the rain. renting all these cars in Wednesday Columbia. morning in the middle of February? Yeah, of February. Guys, take your vacations in the in the spring and summer, and don't worry about cars. You know. <laughs> I guess people were trying to get out before the cold and before the storm. Yeah. I don't know what the case is, but I'm glad. Well, I, I'm not glad that the uh, <laughs> that the drive was more unpleasant than the game. But the game, I think, for most Carolina fans, was pretty horrendously unpleasant. It was a wire to wire loss after South Carolina didn't trail for 117 plus minutes in SEC play. They then subsequently trailed for 40 minutes in a game that I think we both agreed was winnable, that Carolina, I don't want to say should have won, and didn't like desperately need to win, and we can talk about the implications exactly of the loss in just a second, but that was a winnable game for Carolina. It would have allowed them to stay sort of on the front foot and kind of ahead of schedule, and I think you and I described it last week as really being in control of your own destiny, obviously not for like winning the SEC necessarily or making the NCAA tournament, but for at least cinching that double buy in the SEC tournament, which is valuable. And now they're kind of back where they were before the upset Arkansas, where they have to call and fight for every win now, and you can't really afford any more slip-ups down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, you are you have nine regular season games left, and you're at 13 wins. You're going to probably need seven to eight, with including the SEC tournament, to feel good about, making a postseason NIT. Um, you probably need six wins for the NIT, but seven wins or eight wins to get to 20, to feel pretty good about where you stand for the NCAA tournament. And that means your margin for error is, I mean, almost razor thin with five games left, four games left against net top 50 teams, quad one teams-ish. The two Mississippi State, LSU, and... Alabama. At Alabama, yeah. Yeah, so those are, you have four. 
So this is not – it's doable, but getting a win against Ole Miss, it's not going to really impact the net rankings, but just in terms of win totals, you're South Carolina and you need every win you can possibly get at this point in the season, and losing that didn't help your cause. This is a little bit of a – I'm not polarizing – I didn't quite know how to feel about this because, again, Carolina, they could have won this game, and that yeah. would have been great. And they probably ultimately needed to because they wanted to stay ahead of schedule. But as they entered this five-game stretch of Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Ole Miss, or Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M, they needed to go 4-1 in those games. And they still very well could. Right. They beat Arkansas, which put them ahead of schedule. Losing to Ole Miss, it's on the road, so it hurts you less than losing at home. You still have a winnable game coming up against Texas A&M that we'll talk about in probably half an hour or so here. And uh, obviously they got it done against Missouri. And then you have Georgia. It's, you know, Georgia played a close game with Florida the other day. I mean, we've said it a couple times this year, and we're going to say it when we get to the preview of the Georgia game, I guess, next week. As Anthony Edwards goes, so go Georgia. They were, Which you know, is a little more by, scary, yeah, <laughs> considering at, now that Justin Minaya is out. But, right, yeah. right, which is, which is a huge part of all of this. Like, for South Carolina, it's not just the loss. It's If they had lost this game in Justin Minaya had missed it, but then ultimately he was coming back. You're like, okay, cool. Well, kind of like, like Auburn with Keyshawn Bryant and Trey Hannibal. Right. You, you you accept, okay, you know that that's an easy game to lose. There's kind of a malaise over the team. You're disappointed. You're losing your, your glue guy, but he's coming back. It's going to be fine. You're going to be able to get back. You're going to be able to return to form, you know, the form that allowed you to upset Kentucky and to upset Arkansas and to, you know, absolutely blow the doors off of Vanderbilt and Missouri like you should have. But now you're having to fight the uphill battle of having lost this game like you said, basically having no margin for error down the stretch and having to do it without not your best player, but I think we saw after the Ole Miss game that it's probably not an exaggeration to say that Justin I is the single most important player on this Carolina basketball team. Yeah, I mean, especially defensively. Uh, you saw it going into the Ole Miss game. I kind of figured it was going to be a matchup problem just because South Carolina's had problems at times with on-ball defense and guards that are, you know, drive first, they can hit shots, and... And Brian Tyree is good at that. And you saw that. He went for, what, 38 points? 38 on 12 of 21 shooting. Yeah. Got and to the line 13 times, knocked down 11 of his free throws. And Devontae Schuler, they did a great, great job. We noticed it, that they, Kusnard started on Tyree and then switched to Schuler, and Schuler didn't score again. So that's great. You limit Devontae Schuler a little bit, but South Carolina doesn't have anybody that can match up on Tyree. And that was the problem. And... Whether whoever you put on there, you know, you could put AJ on there, but he struggled at times defensively. Trey Hannibal's a freshman going up against what I believe to be either a junior or senior guard in Brian Tyree who's done this before. Um, and then Kustard can only do so much. And trust me, he tried. <laughs> he tried to do everything, and that's just not a formula for success, and you're having to put when your on-ball defense isn't great and – you know, a, a whoever and Tyree's getting into the paint, you're having to rely on help defense from Jalen and Wildens, who have habits of making silly fouls at times, have shown really good progress, but are still freshmen. Manaya helps in that. He's a great help defender. And when you don't have him out there, it causes fouls. It causes open shots in the lane. And and you saw that. Ole Miss kind of went inside at will, uh, especially on, on the side my coaster wasn't on. Manaya is kind of an eraser, and not because he's necessarily swatting like four or five shots a game. It's because, as, as I'm, as we have both talked about before, and as I mentioned, I think just in the last podcast, the stuff that he can do just to disrupt the timing of opposing offenses, you know, getting arms in passing lanes, even if he's not blocking shots, just contesting shots, making it tough for guys around the rim. That's the stuff that you really felt like Carolina was lacking. Because uh, you mentioned, you know, Kusnard, he did what he could, and I, I think I got, I think it's fair to say I got. Ugh, a little bit sucked in by some of those really good defensive numbers for Carolina. You, since the start of SEC play, I think you said basically top five in every major defensive yeah, category. Yeah, really, really South good. Carolina. It looked like, just based on the eye test, that the defense, especially in the backcourt, had gotten a little bit better. Kusnard, I think, has improved that. I thought with an increased role for Trey Hannibal, I think even what I said last podcast, I'd have to go back and listen exactly, but I think I, what I said was basically you now have three guys that you can throw at these two guards if if AJ doesn't have it or if Trey doesn't have it or if Jermaine doesn't have it, you feel pretty good about like you know at least one and a half of those guys. And for Carolina, it was really just Jermaine. Uh, Trey couldn't get it done. AJ couldn't get it done defensively, and that's why you end up with Brian Tyree going for thirty eight. And when someone goes for thirty eight at home, and it's Morgan Freeman night, you're not going to win. 
they literally had someone who played God on their side. I mean, yeah. 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 Like, that's just, it's one of those where it was kind of the perfect storm for South Carolina. You're playing so well. You lose one of your players. You're trying to figure out that. I mean, you saw it even when Manaya went out last year. It took him a couple games to really kind of figure out, okay, this is what we are. They're going to have to rediscover a little bit of their identity with him out. And and you got to do it on the fly with now no margin for error. Yeah, and you got to do that while still trying to make a push for a tournament. Mm-hmm. It's That's really hard. And it's going to be very interesting to watch. And, and when you have two guards like they – South Carolina will not face – It'll be very hard for South Carolina to face that that good of a combo of guards in SEC play again. That's the good news. But you still have LSU. You still have two times Mississippi State. You still have Anthony Edwards on the schedule. And that presents some problems. So it'll be very interesting to see how South Carolina combats this. It's going to require Keyshawn Bryant to step up, uh, which he did not do well on Against Ole Miss, A.J. Lawson's going to have to play better, just 2 of 10. So you're going to need more from guys, and they're going to need to figure out this identity quick because they didn't play with they didn't play with a lot of pace and a lot of real energy against Ole Miss. No, and it was uncharacteristic stuff, too. Yeah. Mike, who I, I mean still had a good game and is having an amazing senior season, there were times, I can remember one time off the top of my head, I don't remember if there were others, but where he's defending off ball and he just loses his guy who gets an easy backdoor cut for a layup. I think that was like midway through the second half or something like that as Ole Miss was, you know, building that lead all the way up to I think 18 was where it peaked for them. But it was that kind of stuff that doesn't really happen. You know, Mike is an engaged defender. He's really good off the ball. He's not losing those guys on the backdoor cuts. I mean, that's something you would expect from Wildens or Jalen, someone that's a freshman that gets exposed like that. It was those kinds of things. It was not having, you know, the, the scrappy mentality. You know, you know, Frank was talking about not going, not the, not having the energy, going for loose balls and and you know crashing the glass. Ole Miss was not a good rebounding team. No, Carolina is or was going yes. into this game a good rebounding team, and Ole Miss won the rebounding battle by ten. Yes, ten and rebounds. South Carolina only had eight offensive rebounds. Yeah, and Ole Miss had thirteen. So what? Yeah, like <laughs> that. That was not how I expected Ole no, Miss to and, win this and, game. And it was, and Frank mentioned it. I, I didn't even get the question out, and he cut me off. I was, I was like, Frank, you guys got rebounded by 10 as the lead-in, and he goes, yeah, we were terrible. We got beat on – I mean, he just went on this. We got beat on backdoor cuts. Mm-hmm. We got beat – anything they could get beaten on in terms of just effort plays, they got beaten on, and Frank said it. So that's something that's going to have to get fixed. Luckily for them, it's an easy fix. Um, so, yeah, it's it was just a weird game. It was just a really, really weird game. <laughs> and I texted you – Midway through the first half, and I was like, what's the crowd like there? Because just watching it on TV, it sounded kind of loud when Ole Miss was hitting shots and building leads, and you were like, not really. Yeah. Just it, it, No. There was... So it wasn't even... It, I mean, you know... The, the students were packed. They go to Fayetteville and beat Arkansas, which is apparently the toughest place to play in the country, and then you go to Ole Miss, and it's yeah. not one of the toughest places to play, and not as good as Arkansas. And, I mean, you lose by 14. 84-70 to was the final score, but... As I mentioned, Ole Miss was up by 18 with eight minutes to go. They, I mean, that could have easily been a 25-point loss, and I, w- I would not have said that that was an inaccurate representation of how the game went. No, and, and I think I posted in our live thread, I was like, the energy just in the building wasn't there. And I was like, this is one of those games where South Carolina is going to have to create its own energy, create its own kind of buzz, and it just never happened for them. They never got like that uplifting... Wilden Zavek missed an alley-oop dunk on an inbounds pass. Uh, Keyshawn Bryant back-rimmed a put-back dunk. So it's just one of these things where you're trying. You you see them trying. They're not just sitting there going through the motions. They're trying to create these plays. It just didn't connect for some reason Wednesday, and you saw the result from it. We talked about Manaya's impact not being on the floor, like the actual basketball. Did you get the sense talking to the guys afterwards. I don't know how much you saw or got to hear from anybody beforehand when you got to Oxford that there was sort of like a mental malaise. Like, were the guys just super bummed they having looked, heard about well, Justin? They looked, they looked engaged, and I think they went through the entire week knowing probably going to play against Ole Miss. Right. Um, well, we I, knew that, but it wasn't until like right after the game, at least the first person, you were the first person I saw report it, so I don't know if you broke it, but when we saw that it was official that he was going to have surgery, that was happening. Um, actually, this morning, we're recording this Friday morning, 
he's I think in surgery right now. Yeah. Didn't see that officially until Wednesday afternoon. And if that was the conclusion, you assume the team would have found out before the rest of us found out. I don't know if that was right before the game. I don't know if that was Tuesday. I don't know if that was in the immediate aftermath of the game and it just wasn't made official until Wednesday after the game or whatever. But you have to imagine when you lose a leader and a glue guy like that, that that has a sort of a psychological impact on the team as well. Yeah, I think that I checked with USC on Tuesday and there was no update Hmm. to Justin. And we didn't get an update, obviously. I was on the road to our Oxford when we got it. And I think that they were still trying. I knew they they knew that he wasn't going to play against Ole Miss, mm-hmm. but I think they were still trying to figure out a way or see if there was a possibility of him coming back. And it just was it was just one of those things where you can't play with a, whatever he had torn ligament, dislocated this, sprained whatever for six weeks on your shooting hand. A significant boo-boo. Yeah, a very significant boo-boo. An owie that an owie to end all owies. Yeah. Uh so you just can't play with that. And they tried their best to make to see if they could do it and it just couldn't happen and I think that was there a mental kind of block. I think they were bummed about it, but just I mean, I was on the court watching warm-ups and they seemed engaged, they seemed into it. They actually shot the ball pretty well in warm-ups. Which I don't know. It's like hitting home runs at batting practice, you know. Yeah, um, really didn't translate, but they were engaged. They looked lively. It was, it was a good group, and they just didn't translate to the game. And and I think that that's just because you have such a different identity with Justin on the floor that you just you, you didn't have the same identity without him even in the building. I was gonna say this till after we talked about the Ole Miss game, but since we're already down this rabbit hole, we're just we're just going here now. When Frank Martin says immediately after the Missouri game that South Carolina just has this black cloud over it, the university that just craps on all their sports teams when things are going well, we know Frank is dramatic. That's part of the reason that Frank is fun to cover. Yes. Um, the fun. team understands that. The team understands that relationship, and I'm sure he's dramatic with them in practice like he is in the games. A lot of people get offended when he stands on the sideline and yells at a kid and gets in his face and it's, I mean, it's a coaching technique for sure. Uh, the kids have a relationship with Frank. They understand that. I think most of them, the ones that stick around, not the ones that transfer, because I think they take it personally, but most of them know there's a little bit of performance to that. I think it's fair to say it's not personal. It's kind of how Frank rolls. It's kind of how he coaches. Yeah, and he is dramatic. Yeah, and it's so different off the court too. But do you think it affects those guys when they hear Frank being so nihilistic on the podium? Because the way the way they're all looking at it, Carolina's playing great. They beat Kentucky. They win, what is it, four or five in conference. You go on the road, you beat Arkansas. You beat the crap out of Missouri, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. The team's feeling well. They're playing well. Offense is good. Defensive numbers are climbing. South Carolina's in the driver's seat to grab a two seed. You lose what I think now is probably your most important player in terms of realizing the ceiling of this team in Justin Minaya. And there's two ways you can approach it. And I don't know if either one is right or wrong. But Will Muschamp would say... Next man up. So what, now what? Doesn't matter, got to absorb it. I don't necessarily think that's the right answer because that's stupid. When you lose someone really good, you're not just going to plug in the guy that's... There's a reason that the guy behind him isn't starting. Yeah, when you when you lose a, a fourth-year starter in Jake Bentley, you're not going to plug in Ryan Holinsky and expect production to... Right. So I don't think that's necessarily that the right answer. Correct. But for Frank to get up there and basically say doom and gloom, he didn't say the season's over, obviously, but that's pretty much what it sounded like. It's like, oh, you know, we were playing so great and then... Now we had the rug pulled from underneath of uh, out from underneath us. What are we gonna do? Do you feel like that impacts the team, or do they just kind of chalk that up as you know Frank's being dramatic like he always is? I think some of that has to do, and I don't know. I never got the glo- doom and gloom vibe from him as much as he's just really heartbroken for a guy like Justin Minaya who was playing so well, who who was putting together a really really good season, and if he continued, had a chance to make second or third team all conference, just how he was playing in SEC play. And so I think that it was more just heartbreak for him. We're not in practice. We don't know what the message has been to the team. Mike Coatsar was very adamant after the Ole Miss game. I need to pick my game up. I need to be better. Even even with Justin in there, I would still need to be better. So this team understands where the slack has come with Justin out, and it's on the defensive rebounding glass, on the offensive rebounding glass. I think they can. They scored seventy points without him. Mm-hmm. I think they can. Yeah, the offense. And, and I don't want to get to that because like, that's yeah. The offense will 
I think the offense will be fine if he's not in there, and that's no disrespect to Justin, but the Gamecocks are deep offensively. You're going to miss him on the glass. You're going to miss him help side defense. You're going to miss him on that end of the court, and where that production comes from is still what I think Frank Martin and that coaching staff are figuring out Thursday, Friday, and then into Saturday for, for the game against the A&M. Wildens is starting. You mentioned last podcast you expect this to be a by matchup basis in terms of who that fifth starter is. I imagine it'll it'll like by default it would probably be Wildens. They can they have the yeah. flexibility to change it um, if they need to. That's not the end of the world. Uh, Wildens, he's not ready to be a twenty five minute per game kind of guy. He's not really ready to be a starter, but he gives you some size. He gives you theoretical rim protection. He gives you a, like a little bit of juice rebounding. Obviously the the damning part of just not being there is Manai gives you the size and the rebounding, and he can space the floor, which Wildens cannot really do. I mean, right. uh, it, he can he can knock down that like little fifteen foot elbow jumper, whatever. It's it's fine, but it's it's not really like Justin Nye, who is really finding his stroke lately. So Wildens is not going five for nine from three, which right? Yeah, Manai has the capability to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. So Carolina doesn't necessarily need Manaya to beat Texas A and M this weekend. Probably not to beat Georgia at least once, although he certainly would have been helpful against Anthony Edwards. Yeah, They're not going to need him to beat Vanderbilt in the last game of the season unless Vanderbilt decides to score 99 again and Saban Lee goes for wow. another, Oof. what was it, 35, 5, and 6? Something like yeah. that? Ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. Good for him. Points. Good for Vandy. Good for Vandy. I know. What, what, a way to, what a way to end the longest conference losing streak in the history of Southeastern Conference basketball to beat the number one undefeated team in the conference and to do it scoring the most points that any SEC team has scored in regulation Good this for year. Andy. That was cool. Good for me. I wasn't. Yeah. I, I mean, I, not that I would have, have had any reason to be sad about it. Um, I was going to say I wasn't even sad about it, but why would I be? That was just, that was, that cool. was awesome. Good job. Yeah. I mean, the game was, it wasn't like they scored 99 and held on. Waxed yeah. LSU. Um, well, I mean, the, yeah, they didn't hold on. They won by nine, but it was like it was fifty-two to forty-seven at half. Yeah. The final score was what, was ninety to ninety-nine to ninety or ninety-nine yeah. to ninety-two, something like that. Good so, for Vandy. So LSU was right there. Yeah. If I had told you going into that batch of games on Wednesday night that LSU was going to score ninety on Vandy, you would have thought the final score was going to be ninety to forty-seven. Yeah. LSU, not Vanderbilt. Good for Vandy. Giving up ninety. Savingly good. Winning. Yeah, good it was them. good. So they deserve it. As long as Vanderbilt doesn't do that, South Carolina can win those games. Where you worry about it, obviously this. Those two Mississippi State games that you mentioned, LSU. You feel like Anthony Edwards has at least one big game against Carolina because you got to face him twice at Alabama. At this point, I probably shouldn't say this because we're like in the business of like selling people on the fact that we have compelling content to talk about for the next nine games. You know, month, uh, whatever that is, a month, month and change. Six weeks, yeah. Six weeks, yeah. I kind of feel like that might be it for Carolina. I don't know if they can really withstand the Justin Minaya injury and still make this push and go six and three and then win a game or two in the tournament or go seven and two and win a game in the SEC tournament. I think it's going the next I'm trying to think of this the next three games are going to be big in determining that. Because A&M, you have at A&M Georgia and then Tennessee. And Tennessee. Oh yeah that's right. The other so, one Tennessee. Yeah. So you have and you've got to play some good teams. Manaya was on Bowden, if I'm not mistaken, in that Tennessee game and he went like one four four hundred in that game. So, and then you obviously have Anthony Edwards and A and M. People forget Manaya had like what sixteen nineteen points against A and M the I'll first time out right there. Now. Yeah, and so I think you can match that scoring production. But Manaya was a big piece of why they won that game. He played forty minutes, shot yeah. six of eleven, four of eight from three, made both of his free throws, finished with. 18, 8, 5 assists, a steal, and two blocks. Yeah, like, like that, that <laughs> was like, okay. that was the ultimate glue guy performance from him. And then against Tennessee. He had like see. a weird, weird game against Tennessee. But Bowden shot one of 17 from yeah. the floor. I don't even know if I remember seeing that at the time. One of 17 and one of 12 from three. Yeah. So, Manaya, you're going to know a lot about this team and where it stands over the next three games because... You can afford a loss here or there. You got Georgia on the road, obviously, but it's one of those where the identity of this team's got to kind of form and mold quick because you have some big games coming up over your last nine. This would be a lot different if this happened in early January mm-hmm. where you had 16 games left to kind of blaze your own path. But now it's a little bit different. 
Because he had spent the last two or three weeks, like the early part of the season, but I was fine. He obviously started the season with a bang with 17 and 11 against North Alabama or whatever it was, and then didn't really find his stroke again until a couple games into SEC play. If he had gotten hurt after the Florida game, I think it would have been easier for this team to absorb it, but he started playing better. The team started leaning on him a little bit more, and now, I mean, I know I just said Frank said this and maybe shouldn't have, but now the team really has had the rug pulled out from underneath him because as soon as he started playing well, as soon as the team started leaning on him, and as soon as he started, I guess, maximizing his role as the glue guy and elevating everyone around him, that's when he gets injured, and it's like, Yeah. In, like, the most, in, like, the weirdest way possible, like, he landed on a guy. Like, he he came down and just landed on some dude. Like, he braced himself. That's how how these injuries happen is you you fall and you brace yourself on something. You know where those oven mitts they wear in baseball now? Yeah. And so, yeah, shoot with oven mitts. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's weird. And Frank's right. Like, think of all these injuries that they've had to have and overcome. Just within the last, like, two years, three years, Sendarius gets sick. During the Final Four run. Mm-hmm. Gets suspended earlier in the season, but gets sick during the Final Four. Um, and a lot of South Carolina revisionist history, you know, fans love to speculate. Well, you know. What if he hadn't had the flu? What if he hadn't had the flu? Or what and, if he had had his own flu? I mean, he played pretty well in that game anyway. Yeah, but like what happens if Sendarius is 100% for that game? And, you know, does South Carolina beat Gonzaga if they do that? Then the next year... Alonzo Frank misses the first, what, four, five, six weeks of the season with that injury. TJ Moss goes out. Uh, Justin Minaya obviously hurt, gets hurt. Um, and then Jason Cudd, not as big of a deal, who obviously transferred, gets hurt and misses the back half of the entire season. Brian missing the only part of this season. Brian, Brian now missing every other game. Yeah. With <laughs> pretty much a knee or a, a head, head or Troy Hannibal getting hurt. Um, it's been amazing. And go back even further with PJ Dozier's back and and Ty Johnson's foot and I think Sandarius has banged up his his sophomore year. So all of these things to say South Carolina has been really really unlucky with injuries and I know that's not an excuse because you're supposed to build depth and that's why you have 13 scholarships. <laughs> but when these injuries you can shoulder one or two Injuries to guys that don't play a lot every year. But yeah. when, when it's constantly a Keyshawn Bryant or a Justin Minaya or TJ Moss, who was starting last year uh, when he got hurt. Yeah, if Mike Green had sprained his thumb, it would not be the end of the road for South Carolina. No disrespect yes. to Mike Green, who hit that huge three at the end of the Missouri yes. game. But but he's um, not playing 40 minutes, 35 minutes a game like Justin Minaya is. It's, the reality is... South Carolina is not as talented. They're as talented or not as talented as most of the teams that they play in the SEC. There's only yeah. a handful of teams that they are just straight up better than. So where do they win the margins in those games? Where have they won the margins in those games against Arkansas, against Kentucky? It's with the depth. Yes. You lose the depth, and now you're playing the same number of guys. You don't have as many options, and you're just a little bit less talented. Yeah. So that's, and the SEC that's is so wide lose. open. Yeah, and the yeah. SEC is so wide open that... You're going up, like you said, against teams that are as good as you, that you, on any given night, you can beat that team, mm-hmm. like in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Any given night, they play 10 times, South Carolina wins probably four, five, or six of them. It's going to be very even. They either go four and six, five and five, or six and four. Just one of those where, you know, they could split every home and home with the team this year, just because every team is just the same level of good. Vanderbilt just beat LSU? Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, so we can obviously assume the Vanderbilt's better better than LSU. Um, but to lose a guy like Justin Manaya, who gives you – you just look at the small forwards in the SEC or the power forwards, the three or the four, wherever he was playing, he's, I mean, marginally better than most. Mm-hmm. Marginally to significantly better than most. And to lose that means you have to put a freshman in there who's playing against guys that are two or three years into the program and – your marginal efficiencies there go down to use, you know, weird economic kind of comparisons to this. I love it. Yeah, you lose. Bring econ into it. Yeah, I mean, you lose your marginal, you know, victories there. And that's not an econ term. That's a, but that's my thing. But <laughs> you lose your margins there. Colin Taylor, economist. Yeah, economist. My brother is an econ major, though. Is he? Yeah. So yeah, I wish I had been. It seems like it would have been really valuable. Yeah. Yeah, you know. But 
to lose that, you lose a, a, a big piece of why you've won. Well, you lose a big piece of why you beat Kentucky and why you beat Arkansas. Do you remember what Darius Thornwell stat line was against Gonzaga? Scored in double digits. Mm-hmm. 21 points. Not quite. So, yeah, I remembered him having a good game, and I think he did, especially all things considered. He finished uh, with 15-5, a couple of assists, a steal, two blocks. Not bad. Uh, but he played 37 minutes, which was a team high. The other thing that I forgot, and maybe because it's because he had a, you know, a, I don't know, I guess he had a decent game elsewhere. Uh, Chris Silva finished with 13 points, but shot 3 of 12 from the field. Made 7 of his nine free throws, but he also collected 13 rebounds, which was nice. Added 3 blocks as and well. And he punched that dude in the face by accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I had actually forgotten about that. Yeah. So, and I knew that Nigel Williams-Goss had killed Carolina. He shot, he, he, uh, shot 9 of 16, scored 23. But my lasting memory of that game, and sorry to go off on this tangent now, but I pulled up the box I score. Fans, I, said, I think fans would like always like going off on these tangents. Yeah, it's like that 2010-2011 World Series. Right, teams. They right. love going off on these. Uh, because I just said, yeah, but Sundari still had a, a good game, even though he had the flu. And then I was like, did he? Like I remember him like kind of fighting, but I don't remember how like, well he actually played. He shot 4 of 12, so not super efficient. 2 of 6 from 3, 5 of 6 from the free throw line. My lasting memory from that game was Zach Collins just eviscerating Carolina. And so I was looking at his stats and it wasn't as flashy as I remember. He scored just 14 points, but he did it pretty efficiently, 6 of 10 from the field, and he also grabbed 13 rebounds. But that's more than anything else. I just remember I remember being terrified of Shimek Karnowski coming into the game, and he was fine, 13 and 5, but it was Zach Collins coming off the bench. And obviously he's the guy that's in the NBA now, uh, not Karnowski. And yeah. I remember there just being a lot of, uh, a lot of fun uh, media talk, a lot of fun content around... Shimmick Karnowski, people trying to pronounce his name and things like that. Do you want to take a guess how you spell Shimmick? Or if, see if you remember, I guess, because I'm sure you wrote it many times. I did not. See, I wasn't covering the, the basketball team at the time of the Final Four. Oh, were you still in college? Yeah, that was my senior year. Okay, all right. So all I right. was I was still with Gamecock Central, but I was doing a lot. I, right. I was well, you get base. a pass, but do you want to take a guess with the first letter of Shimmick? C. No. P. Yes. <laughs> There's no C. Okay. P R Z E M E K. Okay, yeah, I watched Perzimic. that. Final, I watched Shimmick. that Final Four game from the uh, from Village Idiot. Oh yeah, in uh, the Olympia Village Idiot. So oh that one. Okay, yeah, that was that was like brand new then. Yeah, because right? that so. that was the only place we could find to like actually sit like have a spot to sit yeah. and watch it. That yeah. went in. I was living at the Orchard, which is right by there, right yeah. on Virginia Street. Like the year that they built it, and I feel like that's when that Village Idiot went in, or maybe it was my senior year of college. I think it was my first year out. Something like that. Um. I watched the game at my parents' house. Yeah. That was probably the only uh, basketball game that my mom and dad and maybe my brother watched that year. College basketball game, anyway. Yeah, we. Um, I have a lot of weird memories from that run because I was covering baseball at the time. So I was covering, like I was in Tennessee for the Marquette game. Mm. So like we watched the Marquette game in the press box in the Tennessee, <laughs> you know. And then How did the got, Tennessee game go? Do you remember? Clark Schmidt didn't pitch. Adam Hill threw on Friday. They swept. Adam Adam Hill was, I think he was the, Friday. Was the basketball game Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? It was Friday, Saturday. It was Friday, Sunday. Because I was driving back from Tennessee. No, no, but the, the, you're talking the basketball game, though, was Friday? Friday night. So what do you remember from the Friday night game? Adam Hill threw. Okay, so you dominated. do remember. I was, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if it was one of those things where you were there, you were covering it, but you no, just at, remember there, the basketball there are plenty game? No, there are plenty of baseball games that I've covered that I forget immediately after I, I leave the ballpark. I write my story, and I'm like, send, done, forget about it. <laughs> Out of my brain. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of those midweek games that are like 40 degrees. But you actually remember the Friday game. I'm, I'm impressed. Adam, yeah, Adam Hill threw and they won, and that entire season. I remember the Sunday game, too, even though that was prime time, the Duke game was. But they were tied or something. It, it was close in like the sixth, and they like – Sent twelve batters to the plate in like the sixth inning. Oh wow! Dominated, and then Colby Lee came in and our Ian just dominated, and they won. They swept. Huh? Fun facts. There you go. Going back in the memory. The twenty seventeen Tennessee baseball series. Um, I, I feel bad that we brought up the final four run because as, as optimistic as Carolina fans were before Ole Miss and before Justin Minaya went down, that this team could get to the tournament. And then this year, this year in college basketball is so weird. The bu- I, I haven't even like really enjoyed it. Sports are like this, and college basketball is like this more than most sports. And this college basketball season is like this more than most college basketball seasons, where it's like the team that wins at the end, the best team in the country, will just end up being the team that has the fewest stinkers. Bold of you to assume that there is a best team in college basketball. This yeah, year. there won't be. This yeah. there will not be this year. It, yeah. it won't be the best team. It'll just be the team that sucks the least. Yeah, or the, the least often. Yes, 
And, I mean, my roommates and I are, are huge college basketball fans. So we'll sit there and watch on, like, a you know Monday night, Tuesday night or whatever and be like, who the hell's good? Because we don't know. Uh, like, we'll sit there and we're like, we think Kansas is good. We think yeah. X is good. Baylor's probably good. Baylor's good, I think. I guess. But I don't know. Who knows? It's so, a weird year. It's a weird year. Um, which means Carolina could probably still be in the mix. Some things really have to go their way. Uh, we didn't even really talk about this Ole Miss game. Let's hit a couple bright spots because there were two big positive takeaways from this Ole Miss game. And Carolina's going to need a lot more of this if you're yep. looking to replace what Justin Minaya does all around. We'll start with Jermaine Cousinard. Cousy. 8 of 18, 3 of 9 from 3, 9 of 13 from the free throw line. South Carolina in general shot the free throw very, very well. I mentioned this on my local show yesterday. I can't remember if it was during your hit or if this was before or after, but it seems like Carolina wastes all their good free throw shooting performances because yeah. other than the first A&M game in which they shot 7 of 8, which I don't count as a good free throw shooting You only shot 8 night. free throws. Yeah, you only shoot 8 free throws. I mean, by percentage, yes, it's great, but the Florida game... In the Ole Miss game, I feel like her Carolina's two best free throw shooting games in conference play, and they lost both of those games by double digits. Yeah, what a waste. Yeah, <laughs> shoot them in the games that are close. Jermaine Kustard shot eight more free throws than the next highest guy to shoot free throws. Jermaine Kustard accounted for thirteen of the team's yeah. twenty-three free throws. There you go. I mean, good job, Dude, him. Hats like, off. Shout out Kuzi because that is not Bob though. Jermaine, no, my my roommates call him Kuzi, <laughs> so I've adopted it. I like it. Um, 8 of 18, 3 of 9 from 3. Needs to be better there. Probably make 4 of 9. You feel pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. 28 points, 3 assists, 2 three thir- turnovers, 1 to 1. Uh, 1 steal, played 38 minutes. Was the only guy to put up a fight on Brian Tyree <laughs> and <laughs> Devontae Shuler. Yeah. Was the only guy that had any interest in driving the ball. Those are words from Frank Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not criticizing anything. Frank Martin said Jermaine was the only guy that really wanted to get to the rim, and it showed. Because, and he did it by and large. Yeah, and did it and converted. And I'm looking, Mike Kotsar shot five free throws. So that you're two best. All five of them. What Mike, the heck? Yeah, Kotsar. Um, Kotsar. So when. How's that, how's that shirt coming? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I really okay. need to. All right. Um, Y'all get on that. Yeah, it's made. There's one made. Um, but Mike Co- when Mike Kotsar and Jermaine Kuznard combined for 14 of your 18 makes. And then 18 of your 23 free throws. Kind of shows you where the team was. Mm-hmm. Wilden Zavek made two, two of his. Uh, and Keyshawn Bryant made two of his. But A.J. Lawson, T.J. Moss, and Trey Hannibal combined to shoot one free throw. And, then they and make zero. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Jair Bolden didn't have any free throws. Lonzo Frank didn't have any free throws. Yeah. Well, he just played one minute, actually. He's, he's got a lot of one-minute performances. Well, he lately. came in, made a dumb foul, then turn the ball over, not going for a loose ball, and didn't play again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just one of those. Uh, not not a great night for no for Alonzo. Weird sophomore year for him. Not a great sophomore year. Has probably more to do with Wildens and Jalen than him. Maybe, although I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. The point is, Jermaine Cousinard, Cousy had a really nice game. Career high, right? Twenty? No, oh, no, wait. How many did he score against Kentucky? He scored twenty six against Kentucky. Yeah, it might be career high. Yeah, career high, twenty eight points. He's going to need to do that. AJ's going to have to play better than he did, and we'll talk about AJ in a second, but I wanted to touch on the other great performance, which you mentioned, Mike Coatsar. 5 of 5 from the free throw line, 7 of 11 from the field, another efficient scoring night for Mike. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, 3 blocks. We said 5 by 5 or triple-double. This was close to the 5 by 5 it, We can say it was close, right? 1 assist, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. Is yeah. that That's close? Close enough. That's, that's really Mike, close. Yeah, close enough. That's really good. 19, 8, 4, 3, and 3. That's a Draymond Green stat line. Yeah. Mike's Mike's pushing. And I hate to do the whole, like, overreact after one game or, or whatever, but, like, when you look at the SEC this year, Mike Coates was probably a top five big man in it. He's been awesome. Shout out to Mike. I mean, no question and about it. played how many minutes? A lot? 38 minutes. 38 yeah, minutes. he and Jermaine both played 38 minutes. Yeah. Uh, here's something else interesting that I did not notice. I'm looking at the box score right now. I didn't notice this until just now. Mike Kotsar had the only two offensive rebounds for South Carolina. And you go back in your head and you're like, but they had eight. I guess that was like six team offensive rebounds six where it's just, where it's just Ole Miss knocking it out of bounds like after yeah. a shot. And Mike Kotsar had the only two offensive rebounds in the whole freaking game for South Carolina. Good for Mike. Yeah, good for Mike. But He's, again, Ole Miss was need not to be a better, good rebounding yeah. team. <laughs> you need to be better at that. Yeah, Yikes. But, yeah, um, a couple other yikes. Uh, AJ Lawson, 26 minutes, two of 10, one of six from three, uh, just five points, two rebounds. No assist, but... One turnover. One turnover. This is four games in a row that he's had one or zero turnovers, which is really nice. 
The shot's been falling for him lately. It wasn't falling on Wednesday. This is when I think Frank Martin would like to see him go to the rim more because when, when three's not falling for you, like I said, you're one of six. Yeah. I think he hit his third or his fourth one. It was actually kind of a, a, bit, a big shot when he hit it, if yeah, I remember correctly. Like, right. okay, because I think that brought it to within like 10 or 8 yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I think it maybe got it to single digits. It was like yeah. 12 to 9 or something like that. Um, it was a big shot when he hit it, but he just got to be more aggressive. And yeah. I don't know. It, it was there at times. It wasn't there consistently throughout the game. He only played 26 minutes. We've talked about how much of a, like I guess, positive or negative indicator that is in terms of how well Frank Martin thinks a guy is playing based on how much, how many minutes he gets. Just wasn't there for AJ. You hate to think that he's going to be a guy, but it's been the story of his sophomore year. You hope that he figures this out before his junior year because, let's be honest, he's not going to the NBA after this year. And if he does, it's not gonna, he's not going to get drafted. He's just going to he's going to have to have one hell of a like nine game stretch. Yeah, he'd have to average like twenty five and eight yeah. in the last couple games. And, and even still, I'm not sure. It might just be like a G League contract for him at this point. But when he comes back his junior year, he can't be a guy. If he's going to be the leader of this team, which maybe he doesn't need to be. I mean, Jermaine's been consistently better than him through all of SEC play. Obviously, Mike's not going to be back next year, but if he's going to be a consistent like significant contributor on this team, significant piece, he's going to have to stop being a guy that plays well when he's, when his shot is falling and then disappears when it's not. Yeah, That's the great thing about Jermaine. Even when his shot's not falling from the outside, he's at least mostly getting to the free throw line. He's attacking the basket. Even if he can't finish, he is, he is trying to make things happen. And if AJ's shot's not falling, he's just... He'll just check out. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting. When when AJ's aggressive, his game usually follows. And that's the problem right now is when he's not aggressive and his energy level is not to the point it needs to be with, that comes with being aggressive, his shot doesn't fall. And then defensively, it lacks a little bit. So uh, he needs to just get back to what he was doing, having fun. It's one of those things where I think if the moment gets big, he kind of gets a little into himself and kind of shies away from it, and that just can't happen. He needs to be he needs to be fun loving AJ all the time, right? And when he's doing that, he's good. Mm-hmm. So if he does that, you feel good about where AJ is. But he just wasn't that against Ole Miss. When he does that, he's a legitimate NBA prospect that yeah. he was towards the end of last yeah. season. He's just he's not that right now. Now, you know, there's I don't know. I guess when Carolina is at home, you have like the defense. And you have Sandstorm and, you know, a couple other things. This is like super high school, but I feel like the student section needs to bring back, just for AJ, be aggressive, be, be <laughs> aggressive. You never hear that in college venues. I've never heard that at the Colonial Life Arena. Maybe AJ needs to hear I think that. the last time someone did that was like 1965 or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Probably. That feels like one of those, like, remember the Titans yeah, cheers. Like. that's true. But they might need to bring it back because AJ might need to hear that. Yeah. So just to... Uh, I'm sure Frank's reminded him a couple times over the course of games <laughs> yeah. to be aggressive. Yeah, although Frank probably doesn't remind him in a way that's like as pleasant and sing-songy as that. Although I would love to see Frank singing that from <laughs> like, from his chair at the end of the bench. Well, then we'd have fans getting mad because he's clapping on the sidelines. <laughs> right. and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're going to the Texas A&M game... Can't be aggressive. Yeah, try to get that started. And if it gets started, uh, subsequently tweet at me. Obviously, we will be there to verify uh, yeah, whether or not I will that be there. happens. Yeah. Uh, and if it does... And you think that you were responsible for starting it? Let us know. We'll, we'll have you on the podcast. Out. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you on the podcast. We'll we'll get you to, to tell the story about how exactly yeah, we'll come on and we'll interview you about and it. how that felt. And you can and you can curse and sure say whatever you want to. Yeah. And we'll, we'll yeah, ask West you West about West the team. Right yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never started a chant. I mean, I guess not in like not at Williams Bryce or Colonial Life Arena. I was actually most school spirit. I did like all the you know like school spirit like student body leading the stuff in high school. So I guess I started the some mascot? of those, but huh? Were you the mascot? No, I wasn't the mascot. I was just like you know paint my face guy. But I've always thought it would be cool to start a chant. So this is a challenge. If you can do it, not only you know, thanks for doing it and hopefully it helping and for listening to this podcast and giving us that kind of positive feedback. But also, I would just be super impressed because it's hard to do in a big arena like that. Don't you think Gamecock Jesus would want to get that started? Yeah. Do you think he listens to this? Gamecock Jesus, if you're listening. Start it, and then yeah, we'll have you on the podcast. Be aggressive. Then we'll have you on the podcast. Be aggressive, yeah. AJ. Be aggressive. Oh, uh, uh, direct it right at AJ. <laughs> Specifically to him. Yeah. Throw his name in there as well. Um, Someone else that probably could stand to be a little more aggressive. How about just a little better? My roommates and I were talking about this last night. You and I talked about it a little bit in the last podcast. Keyshawn Bryant's just not having a good year. He's yeah, having a worse year than AJ, but he's like a slightly 
small, like slightly uh, lower profile player. So yeah. it, it hasn't had as much attention. And he's had some injuries. Just 21 minutes, eight points, three of six, three rebounds, four turnovers. He needs to be better. Keyshawn. Needs to be better. W-Y-D. Especially, yeah. Especially when he's going to be relied on a lot more now with Manaya out indefinitely. So you just need to be more aggressive. He tried to put the ball on the deck a little too much and got stripped. And I mean, bottom line, just needs to be better. I think he's he's in attack mode all the time and can get reckless in that mode. But when he's just facilitating and, and throwing great passes and letting the game come to him, he's really good. He's been really good this year. So you need to see more of that Keyshawn Bryant and less of like, I'm just going to lower my head and see how many people I can put on bodies and posters. I'm almost positive Keyshawn listens to this podcast, and he must have heard you saying last time that with Manaya out, it's got to be Bryant to step up, and he pushed too much, and he just wasn't good. But Keyshawn, it's not all on you, buddy. You have teammates. just need to do the best job you can do in your role for the team. You need to be 14-4 and four with really good defense. And like three assists, so yeah. like one turnover. And not four turnovers. Yeah. When you're not a primary ball handler, you should not turn the ball over four times in 21 minutes. Keyshawn, if you are also listening to this, please hit a three. That way I can tweet, th- tweet three Sean Bryant. I need the retweets and I need the clicks. <laughs> Keyshawn, if you're listening to this, please don't attempt any more threes. <laughs> just, uh, just, how many has he hit this year? Do we know one? offhand? I know at least one. He's hit at least one? He won against Virginia. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at his numbers right now. I love when we do this. Uh, great radio, great podcast. I know, right? People love listening to me click around click. and do research. I'm scrolling. Season totals phone. one of fifteen that came against Virginia. Good job. That, that was, was really like important. it was like really nonchalant too. Like he nailed it like in like the end of a shot clock. And we're like, holy hell! Like Ugh. Keyshawn just did that. Man, six point seven percent. They did win that game, and Keyshawn's three. That was there. That was that was important. It mattered, I guess. That was it was points one of fifteen. And you know what? He, he definitely doesn't have a pretty shot. It I just looks, want to tweet three Sean Bryant. Like okay. I've had like that's the only reason. Sean, just just tweet it whenever he hoists one, which is yeah. fewer than once a game for him, which is good. Keyshawn, you don't need to shoot those. Three of six is fine. You made both of your free throws. Good job. Just don't turn it over. Just play more within yourself. Carolina yeah. needs more. He from probably you. needs to shoot more. I would think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he should probably have about ten they to twelve up, shots. They passed. They were just weren't aggressive in in taking good shots. You know, mm-hmm. they they kind of passed up good shots to try to get. Get a better shot, and it didn't work. Nothing much doing from the bench for Carolina. Mm. Eight points, five from Hannibal on two of three shooting. He didn't have an assist, had one turnover, three fouls. A couple bad fouls, too. A couple bad fouls. And honestly, bad shoes. I didn't Like actual shoes? Yeah. I didn't see them. Oh, the, well, how did you miss them? There were those like, pink Pepto-Bismol shoes. I'm not going to knock Trey for his shoes. No, I'm looking. has got I, a new hairstyle every time I see him. Yeah, yeah too, I mean, so. like. I uh, I support varied and aggressive and just like in general risk taking in your shoe game, even if it doesn't work. I'm, I'm usually very like, I'm good very for like aggressive in my shoe game. Are unaggressive? Yeah. What are you wearing right now? I got like these like brown boots on. I got brown boots on. What kind of hey. boots? Minor Clark's. Great radio. Uh, Minor Clark's. Oh, cool. Hey. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I've seen those. We have very different like style yeah. of Clark's. We're both wearing brown boots. Yeah. Shut um, up. Because everyone could see this. <laughs> yeah, I was wearing this is terrible. Purple and yellow taco socks. Let's see the Um, I'm wearing like kind of argyle looking socks. Uh, point is, I, again, I'm fine with it with risk taking in the shoe game. It was just not a great pink. It looked like either Pepto Bismol or um, what's it called amoxicillin? Is that the pink stuff know. that I used to take a lot as a kid? Not great. I don't know if that was a contributing factor. I mean, he he scored. Most of Carolina's bench points, so I won't knock him too much. And he did play 18 minutes, which is the second most of anybody off the bench. Uh, Jerry Bolden did nothing. 0 of 2 from the field. He did have, I guess, three assists, but was just really low impact when he was out there. TJ Moss played 20 minutes. He had five assists, which was yeah. nice for him. Uh, just one turnover. So Good for, for that for that margin, for that's, it's always one-to-one for TJ. Yes. Um, he was one of three. He hit a three again. He continues to actually shoot that. the three ball really well. But then yeah. th- there was one time... Was Carolina going left or right? Uh, you were there, so you don't remember. Whenever Carolina was going left or right, I don't remember if that was first half or second half. But there was one time when TJ got the ball wide open in the corner. He's been shooting the three. He's been shooting it reasonably well. He's got the short side three. He takes a dribble in to like 18 feet or 17 feet. I don't know actually how far the corner three is. But he takes a big dribble in. He takes like a mid-range baseline jumper. And 
basically hits the bottom of the net and nothing else. Like it was, it was. Yeah, I, remember that. I, I don't know if it was right, actually curveball right or if it grazed like the front of the rim. But I was like, whoa, yeah, whoa, not pretty. But twenty minutes, five assists, added a couple of rebounds, one turnover. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a lot of shrugs. He just, yeah. he's just he's just underwhelming. He's just a, a very low impact player. It was a very forgettable performance from the bench. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fair to say. From almost everybody, except yeah. for Jermaine and Mike. And yeah. even Mike, like I was surprised to see after the game that he had 19, 8, 4, 3, and 3. It was a, it was a quiet 19, 8, 4, yes. 3, and 3. Which is what if, you want. Yeah, we yeah, talked about that fine. with AJ. We were like, if he's putting up quiet numbers like mm-hmm. that. If he has, if, he, if AJ's, you know, 15, 6, and 3, or 15, 5, and 4 every game and you don't notice him, that's fine. That's probably best case scenario for this team. So yeah. it's not bad to say that Mike had... Yeah, you need a quiet I mean, night. The only memorable performance was Jermaine. And when you're not getting great production from Keyshawn or AJ or whoever, you're going to need your bench to step up. That's why you have the depth. That's why you have a Trey Hannibal, a Jire Bolden, a TJ Moss, and Alonzo Frank. If you're not getting the great minutes from Wildens or, or Jalen, you need that. And for them to combine for what, five points, eight points mm-hmm. on what three of eight shooting decent shooting night but take more shots be more aggressive and that's what you want to see from your bench when they come in the game Carolina scored 70 points on the road I know Ole Miss is it's probably fair to say they're better than their record but it was still a team that was 10 and 11 1 and 7 in conference it was a game that South Carolina absolutely could have won they didn't need to have the best game they've played all season to win this game no and you score 70 points on the road which is to me and correct me if I'm wrong, 70 points on the road in the SEC should absolutely be enough to be competitive and be in a game down the stretch. Yeah. And it was never close. Yeah, you would feel good. If I if if you would come to me and say South Carolina scored 70 and gets Ole Miss, I would say the score would probably be 70 to 61, 70, uh, within about 10 points. Yeah, like maybe Ole Miss wins at 74 to 70 or maybe Carolina wins at 70 to 66. But yeah. you would have thought it was the, it was 8 to 5 and then what was it, 11 to 10? And then I don't know yeah. if it got, it didn't get that close again. Carolina obviously never led. I don't yeah. think it was tied. And then in the second half, I think it got down to eight. Yeah. And then Ole Miss went on like a six zero run. Yeah, like I think Bubble Jermaine Bubble. hit a three that cut it to eight, maybe. Yeah. And you felt like crowd got quiet. The people that were there, you kind of felt South. Yeah, cool. And, this happens a lot for Carolina. In the yeah. Second and half. I think they got like an offensive foul on the very next possession. They drew mm-hmm. an offensive foul, so they got the ball back and then just couldn't do anything with it. And I you wrote sh- about it where it's like, you had your chances. What South Carolina did to have do, has done to other teams this year in terms of just limiting their runs, Ole Miss did that to them. So it's just one of those. It, it's just one of those where they didn't play well and they had chances they just couldn't capitalize and Ole Miss took advantage of that at home. So if you want to be favorable in your projection of the next nine games for South Carolina, you can say the offense had a, we'll say not bad but slightly subpar game Carolina yeah, below since entering SEC players shooting did. about what 45% from the floor yeah they were the best I think they were, were the best effective field goal percentage team in SEC really? play because the three point shooting has really experienced yeah. an uptick they shot below average numbers a little over 41% uh, 30% from three which is 6 of 20 feels about like where they can live 6 of 18 or like 7 of 19 is yeah, probably like, a little more accurate looking but at the box score I was like man this wasn't a bad three, sh- three point shooting night for them no no I mean it wasn't it was it was just like slightly below average in, in all categories. And that was with AJ having a bad night, with Keyshawn having a bad night, and with basically getting nothing from your bench. So you actually, in, in a weird way, probably feel okay about your offense. And like I said, this is if you want to have a positive projection of South Carolina's next nine games, the defense that was so good through the first nine games of SEC play, or wait, yeah, through the first eight games of SEC play, with the exception of. Auburn, who's really good, and Andrew Nimhard. I wouldn't even say Florida. I would just say Andrew Nimhard. With those exceptions, you feel like the defense can probably get back close to that. They're not going to be top five, top three in most defensive categories without Justin Minaya. Yep. But if they're league average and the offense continues to be slightly above average and Jermaine's giving you, I mean, he's probably, he's scored like 17 a night in SEC play. And yeah. AJ gets back to more than five points, even if he's not, Great AJ, even if he's scoring 13 points. Like, the offense being slightly above average and the defense taking a little bit of a step back in Justin's absence, but not being as horrendous as it was on Wednesday, that you still feel like you have a chance to go 5-3 and three yeah. in the next... Or, yeah, 6-3, and 5-4. and four. 
which puts you on the borderline in a situation where you can win a couple tournament games and make a case. Yeah, and I think that you can make a case, and I think South Carolina is going to be in every, unless they really come out and, and lay eggs, they're going to be in every game, I think. I think they, they're the kind of team that can do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of can they kind of get over the Mania hump and have other guys step up to close games out. That requires AJ, that requires Mike, that requires somebody or a Kusnard to continue to step up and be the guy. Now, if they, on Saturday, just shit the bed against Texas A&M. Watch the language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's going to be it. And it A&M's been playing a little bit better. But they're still, it would be a quad might be a quad four losses at home. Mm. They're like, the last net I did, I hadn't updated it yesterday because I was on the road. They were 139, and a quad three win at home, I think, goes 135 is the cutoff there. A loss to Texas A&M would not be good for South right. Carolina. Right. Now, no. Carolina already won on the road, and they did it shorthanded. Yeah. Keyshawn missed basically that whole game. Trey missed that game. Gone. TJ missed that game. So that's a lot of, I mean, that's. They're coming back to full strength. More so now, right? With, even with Manana. Andrew at home. Weirdly, I think if you ask like a I don't know national or even regional college basketball writer pundit who's better between Carolina and A and M, they would all say Carolina without thinking about it. And ESPN's BPI kind of bears that out. It says Carolina has an eighty-five percent chance to win this game. Uh, both teams are five and four in SEC play, which is super weird. Yeah, South Carolina's uh, five and four is a little bit better. Yeah, no. definitely a definitely. lot better. Uh, Texas A&M's wins are Ole Miss. Twice. Or no, Missouri twice. Missouri twice, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, and at Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. So, you, I mean, I guess you look at that and you say, well, Tennessee beat Carolina in Knoxville, so that's like better and obviously Ole Miss yeah. just beat Carolina pretty comfortably and Texas A&M beat them. That was early in the season. I think that was the first or second game of SEC play Yeah. for both of them. But South Carolina has won every other. They've beaten Kentucky and Arkansas, two quad one teams, and have beaten every other team they've played. And the other teams they've beaten have they've done it by double digits. Right. So, so this is still a game that Carolina needs to win. Josh Nebo didn't have a great game last go round. Mike mm-hmm. Coaster did a really good job with him defensively, and he frankly hasn't been great. He had decent games in those two wins against Missouri. I think he had like a fourteen and six and a fifteen and eight. So you know, pretty good games, not outstanding. What's been the difference for Texas A&M the last couple games? They've gotten really good performances out of Wendell Mitchell. He scored 48 points in the last three games. He's not doing it super efficiently, but he's scoring a lot. And Carolina fans would would not be... I, I wouldn't hold it against you if you see a guard that's scoring a lot get, <laughs> and all get of a sudden get, get really nervous. <laughs> yeah. uh, but for Carolina, it's it's not two guys that have necessarily been going off. So you just hopefully stick Jermaine on Wendell Mitchell or whomever. And I guess you also hope that even if he does go for 30, Carolina should still have enough juice to win a game like this. Yeah, I mean, on paper, they're the better team. Uh, It's going to be a rock fight. Prepare yourself. It is going to be a rock fight. These are two teams that are averaging below 100 points per possession uh, in terms of defensively, allowing less than 100 points per possession. South Carolina is still the number one defensive efficiency team in the SEC since conference play started. A&M is third. So two good defenses coming at it. I do not think it'll be 81 to 67 like it was. It'll probably be a little bit more low scoring than that. So South Carolina is not going to hit 16 threes again. Right. So you're going to need to have production from your... You're going to need better production from the AJs. The I don't know if Jermaine had a good game in that one. I can't I'll remember. Look. Jermaine but, in that Texas a Oh, uh, did he... I guess he played in that because it was the... Uh, the that was a second start. The Florida game, yeah, that was his second start. And Jermaine had seventeen points on seven of thirteen shooting, three of eight from three. Played thirty-seven okay, minutes. Added two rebounds, three assists, a steal, Woo! eight turnovers. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, I remember that now. That's right. You're gonna need that similar level of production from him, minus the eight turnovers. Jair mm-hmm. Bold went off for like twenty-one in that game. You're gonna probably need some production from him. You're going to need to find ways to make up make up for Manaya's 18 points that he scored in that one. Manaya scored 18 points. Carolina won by 14, so you're like, okay, cool. Carolina loses by four now. It's not exactly how that works, but the other thing you look at, like you said, Carolina's not going to shoot 16 of 30 from three again. Yeah. 
Carolina probably on average hits what six or seven threes a game. I would assume. So I that's think, I think I was thirty looking. points off the board right there. Yeah. So <laughs> you're gonna need you're gonna need to find ways to to limit them offensively. Um, being at full strength will help. I think South Carolina wins this game. I don't know if it's a twenty five or twenty six point win like the Missouri or Vanderbilt games, but um, I think it'll be a rock fight that South Carolina wins. Also worth pointing out. Carolina took 16 more shots than Texas A&M in that game. Yeah, they got made it. a lot more threes. Had a big game from Anaya. Shot 29 of 60. Meanwhile, Texas A&M shot 18 of 44. Yeah. Carolina, they're a, they're a good, good rebounding team. Good rebounding team, but not against Ole Miss. Need and to be better in that. How much is that a concern going forward? I imagine that that Wildens will also be the starter in this game. That fifth starter, sort of On in the Manaya role. Yeah, I guess. I mean, really, I guess he'll be playing the five, and Mike plays the four in that scenario. Yeah, um, you're gonna need you're gonna need to crash the glass because Texas A&M, I don't think is that great of an offensive shooting team. Crash the glass. Don't let Nebo get ten rebounds or fourteen rebounds or whatever it is. Yeah, and Neo actually, I'm, I'm looking at it now. He had a he had a fine game. He had like a good rebounding game, if I remember. No, well, so he actually, only had like two rebounds. Yeah, that was it. That was the thing that impressed me because Nebo was near the top of the SEC when Carolina played them in rebounding. I think he was second or third in the conference. He was averaging nine or ten rebounds a game. He did score eighteen points, shot six of ten. Uh, six or seven from the free throw line, but only had two rebounds. So I remember yeah. that being uh, the notable kind of plus performance from Mike. And that was the game that Mike didn't also score a lot. He had six points, but he had a 10 rebounds, seven assists, three steals. I think that was when we first put him on triple double watch. Yeah. So or maybe the Florida game. But. You're going to need to rebound the ball better. You're going to need more production from your bench, from guys like Jair and TJ and Dre Hannibal and, and AJ, who's not on the bench, but a starter, and see where it goes from there. Carolina obviously has to focus first and foremost on winning this basketball game. Yes. Win. Can't afford to lose this game or else that's pretty much it for you unless something absolutely ridiculous happens, which you can never rule out. It's a ridiculous basketball season, and Carolina in general is a ridiculous basketball team. Yes. But while you have to win this thing, you also have to continue figuring out what to do, what's the answer, what's your rotation, whom can you rely on or on whom can you rely, whatever. Shut up, people. Where with is the whomst. extra productivity, huh? With whomst. Yeah, with, with whomst of... Yeah, uh, yeah you, you have to figure this out. And you have three games that you can afford to not play your best and still win yeah. in your next three games. And then that's it gets a little tougher. You, yeah. And you have to have the whole, the Mania size hole figured out by then. Yeah. You need to get your identity in order and figure out what team you want to be down the stretch. Um if you want to have any success against the Mississippi States and Alabamas and LSUs of the world. I thought Carolina was going to beat Ole Miss. I thought they were going to be 6-3. and three. I thought we would be sitting here, I guess, this time next week talking about Carolina being 8-3 and three in conference. Not necessarily the case, but I guess I just bring that up to say don't trust me, but I do expect Carolina to beat Texas A&M on Saturday. I feel very comfortable with this one. I, don't think, I think it'll be close, but I think South Carolina is just they're better. That's a Chris Clark prediction. Whenever we do any sort of prediction, whatever, he always says, I think it'll be this, but I think it'll be close. It's like, yeah, that's why I asked you to predict like this slim margin. Yeah, it's close. Um, I think South Carolina wins. It's close. Yeah. yeah. That, that would, that would but be But I prediction. don't think it'll be a 14-point game. Probably sense. not. But if Carolina shoots 16 of 30 from three again, that would be cool. So yeah, go to the game, be aggressive, AJ chant. Stop by, see me. Stop by and see Colin. He's sitting. He always sits like right in the aisle. So if you're walking into what is that section one, where the media sit? Yeah, I'm on the front row. Right, but you're you're always like on the inside, so I can fist bump you. Yeah, whenever our seats, because my roommate has the like go pass thing. Yeah, and I feel like every time I've been with him, we've been in basically the same seats. But I feel like you get different seats every time. But I don't know if because he goes a lot, there's like a loyalty rewards thing where he gets to Punch sit card. in kind of the same seat. I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, stop by and see Colin and tell AJ to be aggressive. And hopefully, for everybody's sake, and most importantly for the sake of our content, we'll be talking about Carolina being 6-4 and four in conference, moving to 14-9 and nine with a win over Texas A&M when we reconvene on Tuesday. Yes. So rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Read Colin Taylor on GamecockCentral.com. Great previews before the game great write-ups after the game you basically do three write-ups after every game because you have your game story which gets posted i don't do the game story that's well bomb oh that's well chris well okay all right well bomb who also does the game day updates yeah but you have your instant analysis yep and then you have the what we learned yep so i usually do one or two stories off of it right and then a story here or there and then obviously you're you have a couple different previews that you do 
We're not uh, doing what to a, expect. Yeah. We're not doing a scouting the opponent for Texas A&M. Because you've already done one. we've already done so one. So go back and read the one from yeah. earlier this year, whatever and, that game was. And then, but we'll do a keys. Numbers to know keys to victory. Yep. Keys. There you go. So yeah, read Colin Taylor. Follow him on Twitter, at Colin Taylor with a Y. I'm at Pearson Fowler. If for some reason you want to follow me, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Boom. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.